Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Well, we've made it to Revelation chapter 3 in our sermon series, where we've been studying seven letters written to seven churches. And as we've been saying, each of these churches and cities had their own unique personality, characteristics, and qualities. And Jesus addresses each one of these churches right where they're at. You see that he, in these letters, he commends them for what they're doing well. He challenges them to change all of the ways that they aren't reflecting God. And then he leaves them with a promise for everyone who listens, obeys, and overcomes. And one of the things that I appreciate about these letters to these churches is the love that Jesus demonstrates in them. Because we find Jesus in these letters, he's showing his affection for these churches by honoring them for all the admirable things that they're doing. But he doesn't just stop there. He also loves them enough to confront the things that are hindering them, that are getting in the way of their spiritual growth and development. You know, the book of Romans chapter 2 in verse 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so his correction is actually an act of kindness. It's like tough love, if you will. And even though these letters were written long ago to churches on the other side of the world, it's interesting how you and I can relate to these seven letters today. That in some ways, in many ways, these churches' stories are our stories. That that we too have times where God affirms us and times where he lovingly convicts us because he is concerned and committed to our healing and wholeness. And how we respond to that much like these seven churches, ends up shaping our walk with God. Okay, so why don't we do this? Why don't we just quickly recap the four letters that we've looked at so far? If you remember uh, several weeks ago in Revelation chapter 2, the first letter we looked at was the letter to the church at Ephesus. And if you remember, Ephesus was doing a great job at weighing and measuring and discerning what they were hearing and what was being taught. But they'd also become overly cynical. And Jesus tells them, your love for for God and for others has dulled. It's grown cold. And so he exhorts them to go back and love like they did at the start. And then we have the second letter which was a letter written to the church at Smyrna. And Smyrna was the church that was dealing with significant persecution. They were dealing with abject poverty because they were refusing to declare Caesar as Lord and were only declaring Jesus as Lord. 
And because of that, they were losing their jobs. They were being marginalized. Some were being imprisoned for their faith in Jesus and even martyred. And so Jesus tells the church at Smyrna in his letter to them, hang in there. Don't be afraid. They can't take away the life that I give you. And then the third letter was to the church at Pergamum. And Jesus identifies the church at Pergamum. Uh, he identifies the city of Pergamum by saying this. It's a city where Satan dwells. Because Pergamum was, was filled with temples of different Greek gods. It was filled with emperor worship. And while the Christians at Pergamum refused to deny Christ, they'd also embraced some ideologies that contradicted the teachings of Jesus. And so in this letter to the church at Pergamum, Jesus tells them, you can't identify as Christians and hold on to those opposing ideologies. And that brings us to the church at Thyatira, which we looked at last week. And if you remember last week, the church at Thyatira was a, a church that loved well, but they didn't hold fast to the truth. They had full hearts, but empty minds, right? They were, they were refusing to hold teachers accountable for what they were preaching and what they were teaching. And some of what was being taught and preached was harmful. And so Jesus is writing this letter to them to tell them to speak up, protect your brothers and sisters who are being suckered into committing sexual sin and celebrating idolatry and all of these pagan feasts. And then today, we're going to look at the letter written to the church at Sardis. Now, before we read this letter, I want to share a little history about this ancient city to contextualize it for us, what we're going to read. And I've also got a few pictures to help us with that. Now, at the time Jesus asked the Apostle John to write this letter to the church at Sardis, Sardis, the city, had seen its best days, and it was in decline. Now, that being said, in its heyday, Sardis was quite wealthy. In fact, we know that the first coins that were ever minted in all of Asia Minor came from Sardis. So it was literally the place where money was born in Asia Minor. And it was well known for its luxury, its affluence, its ease of life. It was a destination for pleasure seekers and luxurious living. And Sardis was also famous for its impenetrable defenses. Sardis was a city that was fortified on a mountain surrounded by 300-yard-high cliffs and walls. Around those walls, there was a river below that served as a moat, making it nearly impossible for enemies to breach it, to attack it. In fact, uh, the king and military commanders of the city of Sardis were so overconfident in their defenses, in their steep cliff walls, that it ended up being their demise on not one, but two separate occasions in history. The first one was in 547 BC, 
the Persian King Cyrus attacked the city of Sardis. And because they couldn't get in and breach it, he offered a rich reward to any of his men who found a way inside the city. Well, one day, one of Cyrus' men watched a soldier up on the wall drop his helmet. And his helmet fell down the cliffside, and the soldier climbed down a little hidden trail to recover it. Well, the scout marked that location, and later that night led a detachment of troops up to invade and opened the gates from within, and the city fell. And the exact same thing happened a few hundred years later when the armies of Antiochus captured the city the exact same way. And so the city of Sardis, their overconfidence, their lack of uh, attentiveness and watchfulness had been their demise on two separate occasions. And in many ways, the spiritual state of the church in Sardis was a reflection of that history because it too had grown lethargic apathetic. It had become overconfident and unattentive in many ways. And we're going to see some of this in the language that's in this letter that Jesus sends to the church at Sardis. So let's start reading. Uh, We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 3 and read the first three verses, verse 1 through 3. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. So he starts this letter to the church at Sardis by saying, You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. See, the the church at Sardis, when you looked at it externally, it had signs of life and vitality. Everything looked good on the surface, right? So it was probably a busy church. It was probably a church with with lots of meetings and committees and and churchy-type activity, always something on the calendar. And it had a reputation for for being an active, lively church. But Jesus tells them, that's not what I see when I look at you. Despite your good appearance, you're barely alive. You are on life support. In other words, Sardis, you put on a good show and you perform your duties but there's no substance to your faith. You're, you're, you're going through the motions. 
Have you ever been guilty of that? Going through the motions, sleepwalking in your faith. You know, you, you, you show up to church, you pray occasionally, and maybe crack open your Bible from time to time. You serve here and there, but don't really go out of the way. Uh, and there's just this underlying disinterest. There is an underlying indifference. Right? And that's what was happening at the church of Sardis. See, Sardis' problem wasn't scandalous sin. It was, it was a lack of life. They had settled for having church without ever having to be the church. They, they were busy doing things without being. They, they had this appearance of spiritual health and vitality, but they were indifferent. They were indifferent about their, their true spiritual condition. They had, they had grown apathetic. And in many ways, they overestimated their ability to, to maintain a spiritual life without depending on their connection to Jesus, the source of life. And, and they were relying on their reputation to prop themselves up. And so Jesus tells them, wake up. Some translations, it says, be watchful. And what he's doing here is he's using the city's history to warn them where they're at. He's pointing back to their history and saying, you're acting just like those who've come before you. You're inattentive. You need to be more aware of your vulnerabilities. You need to uh, examine your ways. You need, he tells them you need to, to strengthen what you have. You need to protect and strengthen what you have. Fortify it. Keep watch. And in verse 3, Jesus tells them, go back. Go back to what you heard and believed and hold it tightly. See, I can't help but notice that their spiritual condition wasn't hopeless. Jesus hadn't given up on them. It wasn't too late. But they needed to pay attention and repent. They needed to, to, to be alert. Well, let's keep reading in verse 4 and 5. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. And so Jesus tells the church at Sardis, hey, there is a faithful remnant among you who are, are still uh, being true to the Lord. You, you haven't, he says, soiled your garments. And he goes on to say that, that all who are victorious will be clothed in white. So, so what does all this mean? What is this talk of soiled garments and being clothed in white? Well, in, in the nearby pagan temples, you weren't allowed to enter them for worship with, with dirty clothes on. If you showed up to worship at one of the pagan temples with, with dirty clothes, you were sent away. And Jesus is telling the church at Sardis here that that's not how the temple of God works. 
that if you have dirty garments, Jesus says, I'll provide you with pure white ones and you will walk right in to God's presence with me. Now, now this, of course, is Jesus referring to the work he did on the cross for us and, and how scripture assures us that because of his blood, we've been washed white as snow. We no longer have to depend on our own righteousness, which the book of Romans tells us are as filthy rags. No, Jesus clothes us in white and he walks right in with us, right beside us, and he declares that we're with him. He goes on to say and promise them that their names will not be erased or blotted out of the book of life. See, in the ancient world, cities kept a register of their citizens. And when someone died or received a criminal conviction, their name would be erased from the city register. It was often called the book of the living, right? So if they died or they were uh, criminally in convicted, their name would be erased from the city register. And Jesus tells them, not in God's kingdom, if you remain faithful, if you believe that I took on your sin through the cross and received the forgiveness and the righteousness that I provide, if you trade in your filthy rags for the white garments that I offer you, your heavenly citizenship is assured. You know, in Luke chapter 20, Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Wow. See, when, when you and I put our trust in Jesus and his work on the cross and remain faithful, our names are written on the city register. Our heavenly citizenship is assured, and that is reason to rejoice. And so he tells the church at Sardis, you who are remaining faithful, you who recognize the work I did at the cross, if you receive my forgiveness, my righteousness, and you take these white garments, you can walk right in with me. Now, as we get ready to approach the communion table today, I want to take a minute just to reflect on what Jesus may be saying to us through this letter written to the church at Sardis. You know, one of the things scripture commands us to do when we approach communion is to inspect our hearts and our relationships. And so the communion table is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity to to climb up to the lookout of our souls and, and keep watch, right? To see if, if there's any sin or discord wanting to sneak in to our lives and, and wreak havoc. And communion is really a time for us to be attentive and watchful. It's where we make an honest evaluation of our hearts and lives and we remember what Jesus provides for us. And so just like the people of Sardis, we too can, can, can be unaware of the real condition of our souls. We, we can be guilty, just like them, of, of going through the motions 
with indifference in our hearts. So we're going to do that work together this morning through prayer. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.